Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are observing men and women in the Bible, what we can learn from them, and observing God's constant faithfulness in the lives of His people. Today, we discuss the history of the mediator of the Old Covenant, Moses. Today is the first message regarding his life, beginning with his birth until the ninth plague upon Egypt. We will discuss the death of the firstborn, the Passover, and the Israelite wandering in the wilderness next week, God willing. We hope this message serves to edify the church. Okay, so as we consider going into our series regarding uh, men and women of the Bible, we are today we are going to start the first half of looking at Moses. Moses has a very long story, and in my opinion, he's probably the most important figure in the Old Testament. In fact, he is the mediator of the Old Covenant. And if you think about what a mediator is, it's one who stands between two parties. There are two basically parties who are in disagreement, and he's the one who bridges the gap kind of thing. He brings one to the other and the other to the other kind of a thing. But and, uh, Moses was the mediator of the Old Covenant in giving the law. Jesus Christ is our, the mediator of the New Covenant, ultimate salvation. He is the great mediator. But we can't really make sense of even Christ's ministry and, unless we see the Exodus and, and the story of Moses and, and God delivering him, his people through this account to look forward to his de- ultimate deliverance of his people. Um, so, and in Genesis 15, remember we were considering when God had established his covenant with Abraham and he, and he you know, had Abraham go to sleep and he walked in the midst of those people, the pieces with the burning oven, you know, the smoking oven and the burning torch. Well, before that, he says, uh, he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There's more, again, we are focusing on Moses in this account. But ultimately, I just wanted to point out that they do spend 430 years in Egypt. So even those people, even the Hebrews in Egypt, are looking forward to deliverance. They, they, they know through God's covenant with Abram that they are going to be strangers in a foreign land and they're going to be oppressed. But ultimately, after the 400 years, God is going to deliver them. Um, and just as the Hebrews languished in Egypt for 400 years, so Moses did in the wilderness. Briefly, since we discussed his birth, a very miraculous, sweet birth through the ark, and then he's delivered to Pharaoh's daughter, um, but he spent, remember, his, he grew up, he was raised in Egypt. He was raised as a child in Egypt, you know, learning all of that, you know, great education. And then, remember, he, he slew the, the uh, Egyptian, and he had to flee into the Midianite wilderness, where he languished, really, another 40 years. By God's grace, he, he, he was under uh, Jethro, the priest of the Midianite wilderness at that time, but he was still languishing. He, he became a shepherd. Real quickly, so Genesis ends, as we remember briefly, from the story of Joseph, right? Who began his life as a shepherd and then through his brother's treachery and terrible with their evil purposes he was delivered over to Egypt had to go to jail for a while but then he became a prince you know he was a shepherd who became a prince Moses was a prince who became a shepherd in the wilderness he becomes a shepherd and ultimately if you take that to Christ he left his heavenly throne to come to this earth to be the great shepherd of his people. So we have to see the parallels between the mediator of the old covenant and just kind of what that looks like so we can even understand and and more fully apply the mediation that Christ has procured in the new covenant, okay? All right, so let's go to first one. Now we've briefly discussed Moses at the burning bush. So that part... um, 
So again, though, they, they were in Egypt for 400 years at this point. Remember, one a pharaoh eventually came up who didn't remember Joseph, and so he started putting taskmasters over the people. And basically, those are kind of officers making sure that they're doing these tasks. It's the leading into slavery, and then ultimately is slavery. By the time Moses is born, the Egyptians, I mean, the Hebrews are having many babies they're reproducing a lot and that's why the pharaoh gets kind of scared and, and, and orders the hebrew midwives to kill the babies they refuse because they they fear god and so god um, you know treats them well but ultimately uh, he wanted that's why he wanted to kill all those uh, those babies but so for 400 years there were many generations who were still looking forward to that deliverance so many lived and died in bondage until that deliverance, but they were looking forward to. And let us also recognize that Jethro, um, who becomes Moses' father-in-law, is a priest, and he's not in captivity. He's not in bondage. He's a faithful uh, man of God outside of this account. So God still has faithful men and women all over, not, you know, uh, in these specific accounts. Okay. So let us, let's just go to uh, chapter 4, since we've pretty much discussed chapter uh, 3 fairly briefly. <clears throat> so, then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me, or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they, uh, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it should be so, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land, which we'll see in the first plague. Well, yeah, the first plague in Egypt. So this is a pointing forward to, but God is basically showing him by these signs, I am, I am assuring the people that you are my prophet, that I am sending you. How, how are they going to know that you've sent me? These signs, okay? Um, because again, one of the things I've mentioned is outside of Moses, we, we don't see these, these, these huge numbers of miracles in any other accounts outside of Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, again, Elijah had some, performed some miracles. Elisha, there are other miracles, but Moses' ministry was filled. His whole, you know, those final 40 years were filled with many signs and wonders. Again, outside of Christ, he is the one uh, who's, who's had those. But again, this is uh, God telling him, this is how they're going to know. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So again, remember, he was raised in Egypt. He was probably eloquent when he left Egypt, but again, languishing for those 40 years, not, you know, I mean, he's, he's a student. He's the disciple of his father-in-law, Jethro. We'll, we'll see next week, you know, Jethro is a very faithful man, and he, and he listens to his advice. Moses listens to his advice. So he becomes a disciple, really, of Jethro. But he, he himself doesn't really articulate anything. He's not preaching. I mean, we don't have a story of him preaching anyway. So he's under the priesthood of his father-in-law. Um, so... Again, that, that eloquence was probably atrophied by this time. Um, so the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, or the, see, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach, teach you what you shall say. So, I mean, that's a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty good argument. <laughs> Uh, but he said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Look, you know, I've got to say... I, I can understand his reluctance. At least I can I can sympathize with his reluctance. You know, uh, you know, when God calls a man to the to the ministry to any kind of ministry, uh, a true, any kind of real 
man of any kind of humility under Christ would be reluctant and basically no, probably sending the wrong guy sends anybody else until ultimately he wins the day. <laughs> but, um, so, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well and look, he is also coming out to meet you later. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. So basically, God, God is making Moses basically his, his servant, to, basically his ambassador. He's taking the place of God. He's, so God is even saying, you will be a God to Pharaoh. You're going to be like God to Pharaoh and to all these people. And Aaron is basically going to be your prophet. You know, he's going to be your spokesman. And that lasts for a while, but we'll see later on while he's in Egypt, Moses takes that, uh, that task. Um, so Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me, okay, we don't have to really read any of, but he's just asking his father, father-in-law to, uh, to go. So let's jump to verses 21 through 33, uh, 23. I mean, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn, which we will see is the last of the plagues. Okay, we'll, we'll discuss the plagues here in just a minute, but first of all, he's saying, Israel is my firstborn. We're gonna get into the firstborn um, very soon, and because there, there are scriptures all over the place talking about the firstborn. In the New Testament, Christ is referred to the firstborn over all creation. Now, he's not born of the Father. He's, for, he's begotten of the Father, okay? He's eternal. He, he's begotten, not made, okay? That's the best way I can put it. That's in the Nicene Creed. He was begotten, not made. He's always been, okay? But he, but he is called the firstborn over all creation and the firstborn from the dead, obviously. He was the first one risen from the dead to lead us all to be risen from the dead. But I just want to mention real quickly the firstborn that plays a huge part throughout all of redemptive history. Again, really pointing to God's Son, Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn over all of his brothers and sisters. Again, we're all adopted through his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay. Let's go to five, chapter 5, 22, uh, verse 22 through 6-9. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble to this people? Why is it that you have sent me? So he goes into Pharaoh at first, and this is where, as we've discussed, you know, he, he, he throws his rod down and he becomes a serpent. But then his, the Pharaoh's magicians are able to do the same thing and make two snakes. Now, uh, the, Moses' snake eats up those snakes but this causes Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. Real quickly, Pharaoh's heart being hardened, it says God hardened his heart, and so people think this is a great injustice of God. What this basically means is God has grace and, can, and gives grace to all men. The only way even fallen men don't sink into ultimate and absolute degeneracy is by the grace of God. Pharaoh wanted to do this all the time, but it was God that caused him to relent. So basically, God is leaving Pharaoh to do all that his heart desires. He is not restraining his, his, his evil at all like he does with so many men. So that's what it means by hardening him. He is not making Pharaoh do this. He is letting Pharaoh do this. Does it make sense? It's a better way of uh, seeing that. So after that, then Pharaoh increases their bondage. They say, now I'm going to, he says, I'm going to double your quota of making bricks, and I'm not even going to give you straw anymore. You're going to have to go and find your own straw, and your quota is still twice the amount. And, you know, how is that? Obviously, that their labor is, is even more fierce. You know, so they start complaining. This is the first complaint against uh, Moses and Aaron. 
uh, and basically they say, the Lord judge between you and me, you know, and, and all the rest. But this is their first complaint, so Moses entreats God, um, and so that's what's here. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Do you hear his heart? He said, he's basically saying, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to come. I told you, send somebody else. And now here I am. And you're not doing anything. Moses is frustrated. Moses is understandably frustrated. I've come. And I've thrown down the rod, you know, and you haven't done, you know, seemingly anything at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land, of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I was, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Remember, that's why I even wanted to make the point back to the patriarchs. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he's the God of the living and not the dead, right? But remember, in that Moses, in that account with the burning bush, that's where he gives that, that sacred name, Yahweh. I am who I am. That's what he's saying. That the All caps, Lord, that, that's Yahweh or Jehovah. That's what it is. Um, so when it's capitalized, it's that. When it's not capitalized, it's Adonai, and that's a story for another time. Um, okay. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the G Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. He didn't forget it. Remember, he had even promised he, that they were going to uh, be subjected to this for 400 years. So... You know, he didn't forget it. Again, we've talked about that. Um, uh, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a, as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. But they did not heed Moses because of anguish uh, and of spirit and cruel bondage. So again, I mean, obviously the people aren't aren't listening because you know they're they're suffering. But I just wanted to go back up to verse seven. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Remember when we looked at Jeremiah chapter thirty-one, where it says, you know, I will write my law in their mind, in your minds, in your hearts, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So this is a mutual possession that I want us to remember really leading into our next study in the book of Acts is a mutual and beautiful um, possession that it's one thing as we proved that God to realize that God exists right to see a God out there it's one thing to see the salvation of Christ you know and see him on the cross and recognize that he is a savior it's quite another for him to become your savior, for God to become your God, and that then all that he all that he is is yours. His omniscience. He knows everything about you, and that is our peace with him. So we have that. That that's that's ours, that's our possession, which he graciously gives to us. His omnipotence, his power that's power, he's all powerful which he gives to us. Paul talks about, in my weakness, he is strong. You know, so we are actually our strongest when we are at our weakest. When we try to generate through our own strength to glorify God, that will only lead to frustration. We, we uh, ask and we seek his strength, and it's only through his strength that we have strength. Okay? His infinitude, you know, obviously, you know, we are temporal until he gives us his eternity. So all that he is, is ours. We are his. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing that we were going to get at and get back to at the conclusion of the following study. It's a wonderful, sacred, and gracious privilege to be his people and for him to be our God. Okay. So, now, so we're going to kind of briefly look into the ten plagues, okay? 
First thing I want to mention is that these come in sequences of three. There are ten plagues, but they come in sequences of three, which begin, which are preceded with the rod, you know, uh, Pharaoh, I mean, Moses and Aaron going in and throwing down the rod and it turning into a serpent. And then it, it, it's, it proceeds with the death of the firstborn. So really these nine come in sequences of threes. The first two of each of these sequences of three are, are, be, are begun with a warning to Pharaoh. The third is just unleashed. Okay. Also, another thing real quickly, the first three apparently were suffered by the Hebrews as well. And then the preceding, the ones to follow, are not. The, the Hebrews are settled in a land called Goshen. That goes back to when Jacob came. That's the land that the Pharaoh at that time had given them. And there's a clear separation between the land of Goshen and Egypt, okay? But the first plagues are not that way, okay? So, okay. Okay, so the first plague, let's go to chapter 7. Eight years old, three years old. America too. Sorry. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah, I wanted to do. Okay, let's do that. Okay, verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the river, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was uh, turned to, to a serpent you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to, to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with a rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in, the bucket, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. So just real, clear, real quickly, because uh, it, people try to attribute natural causes to these things. You know, they'll say like the red clay of Egypt probably caused this. No, this was every piece of, any part of water, even in buckets, were turned to blood. This is a supernatural, miraculous event that God is doing, which is showing judgment to Egypt but salvation to his people. Let's be clear about that. It's, it's a lot like Christ when he was uh, stuck with the spear and water and blood came out. It's, it's the same symbolization. But again, we are not looking at these by exposition. So when we come back to these, we will talk more about them specifically and what they entail. We are looking at Moses, what, what he is experiencing through here. Okay, so first first plague is water turned to blood, but it's all over Egypt, okay? Okay. Um, and Moses and Aaron did so, sorry, verse 20, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and, uh, and struck the rivers that were, waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And, the, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. Real quickly, it's really important. It, it was in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. We'll see later that the servants start, some of the servants start fearing God and start listening, which is wonderful by God's grace. Uh, that, that, that happens. It never happens to Pharaoh, sadly. But, um, so it's just important to recognize that the servants were there, though. Uh, the fish that were in the river died. The river stank, and the uh, Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard because, you know, his magicians were able to do something similar they obviously didn't turn the whole all the waters to blood it was already turned but they probably you know just mixed some stuff and said here look you know we can do we can die <laughs> we can die water um so uh yeah it grew hard and he did not uh, heed them as the lord had said and pharaoh turned and went into his house neither was his heart moved by this so all the egyptians dug up and dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river and seven days passed after the lord had struck the river so we'll also see some of these plagues. Pharaoh doesn't treat Moses because, again, Moses is the mediator. But this time, uh, Pharaoh Pharaoh is basically just trying to 
let it go, you know, just give it time, just ignore this, this is real annoying, <laughs> just, I'm just gonna go back into my house and wait it out, and for seven days, this lasted, but then, then it went away, the, okay, um, and the Lord, uh, and the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to, say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me, remember, we had mentioned that too, the reason for God's deliverance for his people is so that they might come and serve him, so, the freedom from bondage as slaves is to liberty as servants under God, ultimately becoming his children. But when, when he says they might serve me on this mountain, that is serving him in worship. That is our service to him. It's worshiping him, glorifying him. Westminster Confession of Faith probably puts it perfectly in answering the question, um, what is man's chief end? What is his chief purpose? And the answer is, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's ultimately the man's chief end. That's what his purpose was in the garden. It's what his purpose is now, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. There's a lot there, but hopefully, I mean, that gives you a little glimpse into the, the wonderful nature of salvation, that he is our God and we are his people. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, in the houses of your servants, so everywhere, uh, on your people, in your ovens, so where you cook, you know, um, and in your kneading bowls, so where you prepare to cook too. This is gross. <laughs> uh, and the frogs shall come up on you, and on your people, and on all your servants. Real quickly too. There was, a, there was a deity in the shape of a frog in Egyptian times. So, yeah, they, they, you know, because any, at that time when you had, you know, a plenary of gods, they, they usually attribute around their land, you know. I mean, if, if it's, you know, because they have the Nile River there. So there were probably a bunch of frogs there. So, you know, they got to deify the frogs. If they had a bunch of deer there, then they deify the deer. They had, you know, it's that kind of a thing. Um... Okay, and the uh, frogs shall come up on... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, and on all your, all your servants. And the Lord uh, spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So, so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on, on the land of Egypt. Again... This is, a this is just kind of a magic trick. They're doing this out of trickery. We'll see. They'll recognize, too, that this is of the Lord. This is beyond our little expertise, what we can do. Again, this Egypt was the greatest nation in the world at that time, the greatest kingdom by far uh, at that time. So they did have these mysterious little things that men are able to do now. I mean, you got David, Copper, David Copperfield, you got all these magicians doing crazy things. Didn't he, like, make the Statue of Liberty disappear? Obviously, he didn't actually make the Statue of Liberty disappear. Same thing. Okay. Um, okay, where are we? Verse 8? Okay. Then Pharaoh calls for, called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the... So this is the first time Pharaoh says... Okay, okay, this, this, we can't live like this. Please, now I see. Okay, please entreat the Lord for me. Uh, so, so call from, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go uh, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So he promises, he says, okay. Because again, Moses is continually saying, just let my people go that we might serve on the mountain. That's what he first asked. Basically, they would have returned. You know, they were just gone and served. But Pharaoh was scared that they just never would have returned. And, event and we'll get to that because then he eventually says, you can go, but just don't go so far. And Moses says, no, we can't, you know, uh, serve the Lord in your territory. And we'll get there. But it's just important to set up uh, even here. Now, and Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor uh, of saying when, uh, oh, I'm sorry, accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So he said, tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. So Moses is even saying, just so you know for sure, I'm going to give you the, the privilege, the honor of, of de de determining when this stops. And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. And Moses says, okay, so that you know God is doing this, it'll be tomorrow. 
Uh, and, the fro- and the frogs shall depart from you, and from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. The, they shall remain in the river only, where they always were. Uh, then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought uh, against the Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank again. So from the river, it just keeps on. Yeah. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them. As the Lord had said, so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and, and strike the dust of the land. So again, this is the third plague, but he doesn't go and warn Pharaoh. By the circumstances here, the first one, uh, the Pharaoh didn't even ask for God to stop it. The second one, he did ask and he promised to let them go. And since he, you know, lied about that, basically this third one is, is done without even warning. Uh, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so they, so they may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth light, but they couldn't, lice, but they could not. So this is the first one. This is the first one. I mean, it didn't take long. <laughs> you know, it's the third one. and Well, third plague. And from this one on, they're not able to replicate. And, and we'll see that the plagues get more and more harsh. Again, this is the first sequence of three that are, that are happening to the Hebrews as well. But, um, so lice is going on man and beast. Then the, yeah, okay. Uh, and the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and, and, and your servants, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be, shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, again, that's where they are, in which my uh, people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. So again, there we go. So the, the following plagues are not visited upon Goshen. Um, so the flies are going to fill up Egypt, and not far away, Goshen has no flies. I mean, they probably have a few, but, you know, they're not filled with flies. Uh, I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be, just like God makes a difference between his people and those who are not his people even today. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Now, real quickly, I also want to say, I think, in God, by God's providence, I think the first three plagues were suffered by the Hebrews as well, so that God can show his people that we might have to suffer even the, the, the judgment of God that the, that the pagans incur for, you know, slightly, like the beginning of those pains, because, I mean, we were pagans as well, so some of this punishment is given to all men and women. Does that make sense? But it's the first three, and by comparison, they're much less. And then, by God's grace, he, he relents, and he doesn't have his people uh, suffer these. Okay. Um, okay. Then Pharaoh called for Moses, here we go, and Aaron said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then... Uh, then will they not stone us. This goes into another story, um, Antiochus Epiphanes II, in, in the Maccabean War, sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem, and that was considered, uh, in, in Daniel's prophecy, he talks about uh, beware, to beware the abomination of the, well, what becomes the Antichrist, basically, the, the abomination of the temple. And that's what that was then. Uh, but the Antichrist will have this abomination as well. Uh, Moses is attributing the first abomination as this untrue sacrifice. I, we can't sacrifice one of your, you know, we can't sacrifice to God that which is not his, basically. Does that make sense? They have to return to their land, go to the mountain that he has called them to, and that's where they will sacrifice. They, you know, Moses is meant to mediate, but he's not meant to, you know, change God's mind, right? God said, it'll be here. So Moses is saying to Pharaoh, no, that, no, that's not the deal. <laughs> no, we'll go over there. 
Um, okay. Uh, we will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will, com- as he will uh, command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Then, so he's just wanting him to get rid of the flies. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from the people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully any more in, in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. So again, Pharaoh changed his mind and said, Okay, young guy. <laughs> and the Lord uh, did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms, uh, swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh, but Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, and neither would he let the people go. That's a much better, see, Pharaoh hardened his own heart there. So we get a glimpse into what the, the, the story is actually saying, what the narrative is actually saying. When it says God hardened his heart, it's actually Pharaoh hardening his own heart. He's a hypocrite. You know, he keeps on lying. Okay, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and, and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. So again, this is a severe pestilence on the livestock of all of the living animals of Egypt. And all of them. Every single one of them. Um, okay. Um, okay. Uh, then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and the livestock of, the, of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves a handful of acid. So again, here's the, thir- the third of the second sequence. So the Lord said to Moses, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens uh, in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before uh, Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. I'm sorry, on, on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. So they're basically, it's the same thing as kind of like in, in the priesthood. If you, if you became leprous, you know, you would not be allowed to serve in the priesthood while you had leprosy kind of a thing. This is an unclean thing, so the magicians can't even come before Pharaoh or Moses. That's what, that's what that part is saying. Uh, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken, spoken to Moses again. He had told Moses that uh, I'm going to harden his heart. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send my plagues uh, to your very heart. This is the last, of the, this is the last three of the, those sequences. Which So this is the seventh uh, plague, going, which will follow the tenth one is the death of the firstborn. But these, these last three are very severe. Very severe. The most of the most severe of all of them. Um, For at that time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on, on and on your people that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. So, in other words, remember what I did to the livestock? That was actually by my mercy. I could have done it to you. And then y'all just would have vanished from the, the face of the earth. So you're welcome. You know, it's by my mercy that I didn't cause a pestilence over all of you. Um, uh, but indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Oh my gosh, there's so much there. Because even, even God allowing the devil to be the prince of the air, read what he says to Pharaoh. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power, even in you, even in this evil, evil tyrant. God is showing his power. God is amazing. That's what I was trying to tell you. You know, he, he can manifest himself in a pagan and he can manifest himself in a Christian, in a believer. He can, he can manifest himself in the faith of a believer and he can manifest himself in the non-belief of the pagan. God is amazing. 
As you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go, you're exalting yourself. Okay. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now, this is God being even more merciful. This is what I was getting at before we even looked at these. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and, and all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. So he's telling them, take, bring in your animals. You already lost a ton of animals. You know, don't, don't make this more severe. Bring in your animals. I'm warning you. Bring your animals to the house. Uh, he who feared the so he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. So again, by God's grace, there's some who who heed his warning and hear, heed his word. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. So again, there are many men and servants of Pharaoh whose heart is hard as well. They follow their tyrant to the end. Um, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. It hits everything. This hail is, is all-encompassing. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the, on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy, uh, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. This kind of is a lot like uh, Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah with the fire and brimstone raining down. So this is, a, this is a great judgment, which hasn't happened in Egypt since. Again, a very miraculous and specific. You don't see that happen. This is God who's doing this. It's a very tragic and terrible event, which, again, by his grace, he had warned some, and they heeded that warning, so they were saved. Uh, even through this judgment, but others were not. Um, okay, And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, and, and uh, all that was in the field, both man and beast, so man and beast were struck with it, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. So again, though, mo all, most of their livestock is dead. Now their herbs, I mean, pretty much all of their sustenance. Remember, God had preserved them through the famine, and then this evil, tyrannical Pharaoh has risen up, and now God is causing a famine in Egypt, basically. Only in the land of Goshen, where the, children, where the children of Israel were, was there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people are and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord uh, that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that, they, that you may know that the, Lord, that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head, and the flax was in the bud. That's something we will get to uh, later, God willing. But the wheat and the spelt were, were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not, pour, was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. I mean, he's losing everything, and he says, I've sinned, you know, he confesses, he professes, but doesn't actually possess contrition or, or um, repentance. He, he just says, you know, I have sinned. And obviously he didn't truly mean it. He just wanted the hail to go away. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Real quickly, because we are running out of time, sadly, so... I wanted to look at the Passover and, the, and going through the Red Sea today, but uh, we're losing time here. So I, I just want us to remember this, because this is going to be a big deal in the establishment of the Passover. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons, uh, son's son, the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. That is the Passover, which is still celebrated, the Seder, which is still celebrated by the Jews. 
a lot of Christians celebrate it as well. So anyway, but that's the point. It's so that when the son asks, why do we have this meal? What's this, what is this pointing to? And then they tell the story. And we'll, again, we'll consider that next week, God willing. So Moses and Aaron came in uh, to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one shall be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. And they shall eat every tree which grows up, from you, uh, uh, grows up for you out of the field. So again, the, this is just to, to devour what, the, what, the, you know, what, what wasn't destroyed with the livestock was destroyed with the hail. What wasn't destroyed with the hail is now being destroyed through the locusts. So that's basically, it's just a continuation of a worse and worse judgment on a preceding judgment. So they're eating up what, what the hail didn't itself destroy. Um, sorry, I, I forgot to mark where, what verse are we on? Okay, thank you. They shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians which neither your father or your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Practically. <laughs> so Moses and Aaron were brought, brought again to Pharaoh and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had uh, better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, the evil is ahead of you, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. Uh, and, and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Mer Moses never requested that only the men would go serve. Pharaoh is just making this stuff up. This is, this, is what, this is what he wants. So he's just saying, this is what you desire. So no, I'm not agreeing to that anymore. Because Moses basically says, well, who's going? All of us are going. Every single one of us is going. And Pharaoh's like, no, just, just the men. If not, none of you go. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, and they may come up, uh, come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land. All of the, Okay, so that's what happened. Obviously, uh, the locusts come. Uh, so let's jump to 14. The locusts went over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened, and, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Here we go again. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So again, this is what Moses is continually having to deal with. He knows he's not going to let him go. Let him go. Uh, so he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, This is the last, this is the ninth plague without a warning. And it's, and it's more severe than I think uh, is, is uh, noticed just on the surface. Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may, be, may even be felt, not just, you know, blinding, but actually felt internally. It's an internal darkness. This is obviously a sign of the darkness of this world, which is actually felt. It's, it's an internal darkness. It's not just one experienced by the eyes and the lack of sight. It's internal. The darkness is within. Um... So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone arise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had lights in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to, the, to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. So even this, there, there's a light in God's servants, and there's darkness in um, the fallen men and women. Um, 
Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Your, let your little ones uh, also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock shall, also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And, uh, and even we do not know what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Okay, we're going to conclude there. Uh, because, again, uh, we might end up having to do this in three parts. But I want the, the, the death of the firstborn son of the Egyptians goes into the Passover and, and the firstborn is a very important figure going into the Passover so it wouldn't do us well to consider today you know basically just to get through the ten plagues we will observe that in more detail next week leading into the Passover leading into his deliverance through the crossing of the Red Sea and I also want us to remember but I'll bring it back up you know I'll remind us of that smoking oven and that burning torch that went through those pieces is actually realized in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that God leads the people with. And when, when Pharaoh is chasing the people and the people are right in front of the sea, so the people are basically trapped. You know, there's nothing between they and all of Pharaoh's armies. Well, the pillar of smoke and the pillar of cloud was between the people and uh, Pharaoh. So God himself ultimately becomes the mediator. Moses has been the mediator this whole time, and God himself becomes the mediator. But again, we'll, we'll consider that even more. It's a wonderful, glorious, beautiful um, fulfillment of, of what God was showing Abraham, or Abram at that time, uh, establishing his covenant, and then the realization of it. In this one specific account, again, God has delivered us all through the Red Sea. Okay, we've all, we will all travel through the wilderness too. We will all have our moments of wilderness. That's what we need to consider. That's what we need to realize. Through the testimony of these people, we see the testimony of ourselves. Okay, praise God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you that you are rich in abundant mercy. Thank you for your glory and your presence. Thank you that though the road may not be easy, it is wrought with your peace. It is filled with your glory. And even when we might not be able to see, when we find it dark and heavy, your light is still all the more radiant. Lift up our eyes to you, Lord God, that we might praise you without end, in abundance, according to your word, your truth. It's in your son's name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the word of God is life.